Welcome to episode 62 of The Route. The Route is a glorified sports business coffee chat that has a new guest every episode as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Christopher Nesmento, and let's get started. On today's episode, we have a great guest, someone from actually here in Ottawa where I am, so I'm pretty excited about that. And um, it's a pretty um, action-packed, lengthy, whatever you want to call it, interview. So there won't be too much talking beforehand, as I usually do. But the, the few things I'll just mention is, if you haven't already, please subscribe and follow the route on whatever podcast platform you're on. Um, the other thing I'll suggest is also maybe following us at social media. So, um, or on social media, I should say, at the route sports, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you like. And beyond that, uh, there may be some changes in the future. Maybe we're looking into doing some like video content or video podcast. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, stay tuned for, for us being featured on YouTube or even Facebook watch. But, uh, yeah, that's something coming in the near future. Other than that, um, let's get into today's episode. I'd now like to welcome someone who is involved in all aspects of sports media, from being a contributor to The Athletic, analyst on TSN 1200, and an author of 100 Things Senators Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Longtime journalist, Chris Stevenson, welcome to The Route. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, been looking, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, yeah, the real way I like to start every podcast is just by asking each guest, take us through your route. So where did it begin and how did uh, we get here? So you've got an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, well, whatever I'm, you want. I'm, sure way, I'm, way, I'm way closer to the end than I am to the beginning at this point. So, uh, I mean, I, I grew up as uh, a huge sports fan in, uh, in Montreal. And I'm 63, so it was through those it was through those uh, years when um, the Montreal Canadiens and the Montreal Expos and the Montreal Alouettes were were all contending teams. It was a, it was a wonderful time to be um, a sports fan, not just in in Montreal. And I guess that's you know where the uh, the passion for sports comes from. Um, you know, growing up in in uh, in that environment. Where of course the uh, the Montreal Canadiens dominated the the sports landscape, but then we had these other, you know, great. Um, I guess some people would look at it as other teams that kind of passed the time between uh, between sports seasons in the Expos and the Alouettes. But I became you know a very passionate Expos fan. I'm not going to say a baseball fan, but I was a passionate Expos fan. And um, even the Alouettes, you know, back in those those days, the late '70s when. You know, uh, the Expos and the Alouettes had moved into the Olympic Stadium and and uh, the Big O would be jam-packed with 60,000 baseball fans or football fans. It seems it seems really ridiculous to think about now, yeah. you know, that that was the reality back then in Montreal. I can remember, uh, you know, again, as part of the journey, I ended up, you know, so I'm a sports fan and I'm trying to think of, you know, it's a way to make sports part of a, a way that you can make a living. Mm-hmm. And I had always had good good marks in um english through high school and that and writing and and that kind of stuff and essay writing and started to think a little bit about you know well maybe i could be a sports writer and of course i grew up in like i said in montreal and red fisher was the gold standard for hockey journalists in in the national hockey league so you know not a multi-platform world at that point there was the montreal star and the montreal gazette in terms of the newspapers and you listen to the games on CFCF or CJAD and it was, you know, your, your ability to consume content back in those days was so limited and mm-hmm. you saw it through the, the filter of, of men like Red Fisher. So, you know, maybe that's where the, you know, when I think about it, maybe that's where the seed to become a sports journalist was, was planted and specifically a sports writer. Um, and then, uh, you know, started looking at, well, how do you become a sports writer. Well, number one, you, you know, I think you need to have the passion to start with, and that box was checked. And then started looking at at uh, where you could go to school, and and Carleton was uh, Carleton University here in Ottawa was was um, you know a um, an option. It was it was a tough option because it was uh, very limited enrollment. It was a four year honors program uh, back in those days, and I. Not sure if it's still the same structure, but um, 
I remember applying and not getting in. And uh, I worked in a factory for a year to earn money to pay for school and went to school at night, four courses a week from Monday to Thursday, different course every night. The feedback I had gotten from Carlton was that, you know, you need to raise your, you need to have better grades to be able, able to get into our journalism program. So I did that for a year. I worked, uh, like I said, worked in the factory during the day and, and went to school at night, four nights a week. Um, and got my grades where I got accepted at Carleton, but not into the journalism program. Mm-hmm. I ended up um, getting accepted into mass communications. And again, the condition there was if I, I think if I maintained a B plus average or something that they would consider admitting me into the, into the journalism program for the second year. And that's what happened. So that, that's kind of, you know, the route that I took to actually start getting the, the formal training, but the, you know, the roots of it were certainly planted, you know, deep in deep in the soil of of Montreal and and uh being such a passionate sports fan through uh through the 1970s yeah and I guess one of the questions that you know there, there's obviously a bunch of things we kind of get into but I guess maybe the first thing that kind of like sparked my interest is um you know you're talking about how you've always been a sports fan and yeah. you know you live through you know the great times of sports in Montreal yeah. but one thing that I found interesting was how you said um, you, you always had good marks in English in school. And the mm-hmm. reason that I find that interesting is because I think that probably affects a lot of people, right? Whether, you know, the, what the grades they receive is kind of maybe. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it's too reflective of, you know, you're probably going to throw yourself a little bit more passionately into something that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always enjoy, I was a big reader from, you know, the time I was a little kid. So yeah. I always, I always enjoyed the reading part of it when we were given assignments at, at, uh, at school, you know, that was, that was never an issue with me. I loved, I loved reading. And I guess at, at that point, you don't realize it at the time, but um, because you love reading, I think, you know, somewhere deep down, you're becoming interested in the craft of writing, right? Because you 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 figure out what you love to read and then you, you start to, to dissemble that. Well, why do, why do I love reading this author? Why do I like reading this type of, this type of book, whether it's fiction or, or nonfiction? So I think even at that point, if you've got that passion for reading to start with, then mm-hmm. I, then I think it's, it's a logical next step to start, like I said, um, understanding the writing process and, and why, um, you know, why this, why this writing means something to you. For sure. And I guess maybe one of the things I was kind of interested in is because, you know, maybe looking back at myself for high school, you know, yep. the way they kind of broke down, I don't know how you wrote an essay was, you know, the structure, did you include this? Did you include that? And it's pretty, uh, it was almost like a checklist, right? Yes. And then the question I kind of have is, do you, what do you find kind of makes like the perfect blend of a writer, right? Obviously there's someone that has great structure and great grammar and, you know, great, um, I don't know. I don't know too much many writing terms, I guess, but also versus someone who's a, maybe a great storyteller, but isn't the most right. structured. Like how, how, yeah, how it's do you, very, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because, you know, over the course of, of my career, you certainly identify. So my, my roots are in the newspaper business, you mm-hmm. know, those were my, I, I left Carlton. I didn't graduate from Carlton because I got um, in my third year of that four year program, I got offered I got offered a job. Um, it's the early eighties. The economy wasn't great. Um, you're wondering if, you know, you know, you keep kept hearing stories of other graduates, you know, after two years out of school, still casting around, trying to find, you know, some kind of meaningful work. And, and here I got offered a job at a, a weekly newspaper here in Ottawa at the time to be the sports editor for oh, the wow. prince, princely sum of $250 a week. And, you know, I, I decided to leave because I wanted to, I wanted to get that uh, experience and, and get that job. Um, but it, so, you know, there's, there's the roots of, of my journalism is, is newspapers starting with that, that weekly. And, you know, over the course of, of uh, that newspapering career, you know, you ask about different kinds of writing. Well, I, you know, I, th- I think back then and, and uh, it broke down into probably th- three, you know, very different types of writing. And I think, you know, as, as people's careers evolve, they find, you know, which of those types of writing 
um, they're best at. So there would be just, you know, like straight, straight news stories, you know, that the five W's, the who, what, when, where, why, Mm -hmm. and being able to write it in a concise and understandable way. And then, you know, there's, there's, um, column or, or analytical writing in which, um, it wouldn't be just the facts, but that you would use facts to form an opinion and, Mm -hmm. and give your reader, um, a reason why you believe, why you're making the statement, why you believe this statement and backing it up with your, backing it up with your, your points. And then there'd be feature writing where you would, you know, um, devote a lot more uh, time and energy into doing, you know, a profile or, or exploring a, a particular topic. Uh, you know, I, you know, typically in, in the career arc, I think for most print journalists, they go through, they go through all three. I think most people start out writing the, the, uh, the news type, the news type story where it's, you know, basically just the facts and, and ordering the facts and understanding what the most important facts are. And then if, if you're lucky enough to progress from there, you get the opportunity to be either a, a columnist or a, or a feature writer. And, um, I've enjoyed all three and had the opportunity to do all three over the course of my newspaper career. And, uh, each has its own set of, each has its own set of, of demands. And like you said, it's, it's, you know, who's a good, there's good writers, there's good storytellers. There's people who automatically when, when, um, and this would apply to all, all three of those types of, of writing, there's people who just automatically get it right, right, right away. They can see what the news is right away. They can see what the opinion should be, you know, right away. They see what the focal point of a feature should be. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the, the number one gift that a good journalist, a good journalist can have. Um, and then, and then from there, I, I think if you talk to most journalists who have been in this type of job for any amount of time, you know, they'll, they'll tell you that they have a particular passion for one of those three kinds of, one of those three kinds of, of writing. Some people just love the investigative part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel the need to have to write every day, but they'll sink their teeth into doing the spade work and doing the, the footwork to, you know, um, spend two months researching a topic and coming out with a great expose of something or, or, um, you know, a, a better understanding of, you know, why don't we have enough vaccines right now and, and telling the narrative of, of, of that story. So, um, I think everybody kind of evolves into their own particular, uh, specialty, whether it's because they're particularly good at it or because it's a, a, a passion of theirs. You know, some people just like to pontificate and they love writing the, the column type pieces that inspire, a an inspire emotional response from, their readers and they like to have that, that engagement and the give and take, and they're not intimidated by having somebody disagree with them Mm -hmm. because they're confident in their argument and they can, and they can, uh, enjoy the, the to and fro in terms of debating a particular topic. Um, you know, and then there's other people who just love telling people's, telling people's stories. And, And really that's what, you know, for the most part, particularly in sports, that's what, that's what journalism comes, sports journalism comes down to. You know, it's, it's evolved, you know, uh, over the last few years where analytics has become, um, I think a much, uh, a much more, um, important mm-hmm. and, um, significant, um, contribution to sports conversations. But I think people still love a good, you know, human interest story of an athlete as well. So the, uh, the craft is constantly, uh, the craft is constantly evolving. And I, I know, you know, like I said, I'm much closer to the, uh, well, I'm almost at the end of my career. Um, I know some people that, you know, some people, um, in a similar position to mine have, you know, pushed back hard against analytics and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know that it's, um, they feel intimidated by it or have not taken the time to, really understand, um, what analytics, uh, means for me, I I've, I've welcomed it because here's another entry point. Here's another possibility for you in terms of adding to 
that toolbox that you have, right? It's it's mm-hmm. another way of telling a story. It's another way of of coming up with coming up with a story. You know, if if you're still working for a a newspaper organization, that's that's a voracious animal that needs to be fed. You know, every twenty four hours, um, and mm-hmm. and really uh, more than every twenty four hours now. So whatever whatever opportunities are out there to come up with some kind of story angle, mm-hmm. you've got to welcome them. So, you know, I'd, I'd say the, the, um, analytics and, and, uh, understanding data and everything else has become an important, um, has become an important part of the business as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, that all makes sense, right? Where, you know, everything's always changing. I think even at least for myself too, right. You're talking about analytics, but also like the human aspect yeah. where I find, you know, marketing is as much telling a story similar to writing, but at the same time, you know, using, you know, the analytics you get from digital marketing to kind of break down and for sure. And it's, and again, like whether you're, you know, whether you're, um, whether, whether you're, uh, coming at it from a journalistic standpoint, or Mm -hmm. like you said, from a marketing standpoint, is it not, is it not all about, storytelling now you know whether it's building a brand from a from a marketing standpoint or trying to sell the stories that you craft on you know in a in a journalistic endeavor it's all about it's all about storytelling and i've gotten involved a little bit with um you know i'm not a full-time journalist now I, I dabble, like you said, in a whole bunch of, of different things. And one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed golf's another passion of mine. And I've had an opportunity to, to, uh, you know, cover all of the majors in, in golf and the Ryder cup and the president's cup and follow Brooke Henderson's, um, uh, career. Um, so golf, golf and, and the people in golf are two of the things that, um, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, a kind of uh, offshoot, when I when I stopped being a full time journalist, you know, one of one of the things that um, has brought me a lot of uh, joy is is have been involved with uh, Rideau View Golf Club in terms of helping them out with some of the content for their website and and some of the other projects they have going on there. But again, it um, it it comes down to when you're talking about the marketing aspect, it's it's all about you know a, a place like Rito View telling Rito View's story. What's it, so what's important to Rito View mm-hmm. in terms of its culture and and what they try you know the environment that they want to have there, the golf experience that they want to present. It's all about telling that story. So somebody who's looking to become a member of a golf club can see that story and see if it dovetails with their own, right. With their own values and their own, and their own goals in terms of what they want from a golf experience. And, and to me, um, you know, I know a lot of people, um, see a very definitive line between, and I'll put it in air quotes, journalism and, and on the other side of the line, marketing Mm -hmm. or advertising. But to me, there's very little that separates them. Both are trying to achieve the same thing. And that's, and that's to tell a good story. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, right? Where I think there's almost um, like a like there's two sides of it, right? There's the, you know, maybe the the specifically the business side dissecting, like who, you know, who's your audience, blah, 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 all this good yep. stuff and what, what you're trying to sell them. Yeah. But then there's also the, you know, kind of developing that human connection, you know, trying to, you know, build the brand like we're talking about and that's through storytelling, right? The way that you're going to keep someone's attention is by, you know, keeping them interested, engaged. And a lot of times the way humans are, you exactly. know, just looking at history, the way people always like told history or stories or, you know, sold things was just by like sitting down and having a conversation. So that, that's a huge thing. And I know, at least for myself, when I work with athletes, yep. we're talking about the analytics and then also the, the storytelling. First thing is, is just, you know, speaking, understanding who they are. Then we look at their analytics of what their audience is interested in. Then we find a way to tell stories or yeah, things about exactly. themselves that like relates to that, right? So then it's the best of both worlds. Like I've had, I've had the opportunity in my career, I think, to do, uh, I think it's eight or nine Olympic games. And as, as it evolved, um, I did mostly winter games because I would cover hockey. 
Uh, but I did uh, summer games, what, uh, 2000 in Sydney, I think, um, 96, 96 in Atlanta, 2000 in Sydney, 2012, was it, in London? And um, as it turned out, that that first Olympic experience in the summer games for me, that, that would have been 96, yes, in Atlanta. And Alison Korn from Ottawa was a rower. Uh, she was in the, the women's heavy eights. And so I kind of put my hand up and said, look, I've got a, I've got an athlete that I need to cover because I'm working for the Ottawa sun at the time, even though when I'm at the Olympics, I'm working for the chain. Mm-hmm. But I, I put my hand up and said, yeah, you know what? Let me cover some, uh, let me cover the rowing because I've got, um, an athlete there that, that people back in Ottawa are interested in. And I want to make sure her story gets told. So uh, as it evolved, I ended up kind of doing a lot of, um, rowing at at the Olympics that I would go to. And I would, I would come back and I would have people say to me quite legitimately, um, you are covering rowing. Like you cover rowing once every four years. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, how do you even, are you not intimidated by the idea of going and having to cover rowing? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that would be, you know what, there's, there's eight people sitting in that boat. And every one of them is a story, um, just like you do here on your podcast. Um, you know, how did you get where you are? What was what was the route you took? And that was always the way that I looked at, at covering things like the Olympic Games was, you know, here's an opportunity to tell these athletes stories about, you know, how did how did you first dip an oar in the water if it was specifically, you know, the, the rowing discipline? Um but that's the way I looked at it was, was everybody, everybody has a story. And when it comes to it, it's probably going to be less about the technique of, of how the oar moves through the water. And it's going to be about that person holding the oar and, and their journey to get there. And the sacrifices that other people in their family may be made for them to be able to achieve this dream or the sacrifices that they made personally, um, you know, maybe their financial sacrifices, maybe they, they, you know, have put their education on hold, but mm-hmm. that was always my comeback was, you know what, there's, there's eight people sitting in that boat and every one of them has got a story. Yeah. I, I actually couldn't agree. I actually had a phone call, I think a week or two ago with someone else who has um, a similar type of podcast, you know, talking to people in the sports industry Yeah, and they're telling me how they're, you know, they, they almost hit a wall, right? Where they're maybe all, always getting the same type of content in their episodes. And they're asking if I had a similar experience. I was yeah. like, no, like, to be honest, I don't even find that the podcast necessarily is just focused on, I don't know, sports business per se, right? But rather the people that are in it. And that's why I find each episode so, um, I guess the work could be impactful, at least maybe for myself or even so interesting is, you know, everyone's route or life or yeah. whatever you want to call it, it's so different. So every time we just record or sit down or whatever, it's so interesting and different that, you know, there's something new every week when an episode comes out because it's not, hey, I went to business school, you know, we do X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. But yep. it's not, hey, like I was a fan of soccer. Um, I didn't make it. Um, you know, I was kind of let down because my dreams were, weren't there. Yep. But then I found this passion and then, you know, my career blew off in this way, right? Right. And then, like it, it's so unpredictable. And that's why I kind of love about it. And just like what you're saying with, you know, just dropping the oar in the water, they can all be in the same boat, but, and like, you know, performing at the same level, but the way they got there, whether it's, you know, someone was rowing since they're the age of two, cause their, their dad was a great rower. Yeah. Or someone who, you know, was a, I don't know, a hockey player. And then he tried some off season workout and then he, he fell in love with that. Right. There's, there's so many different angles to it, which, I absolutely love as well. Well, and that's, and that's, you know, that's the challenge as, as a journalist then is, is to, you know, um, come up with the right questions, right. That, that get you, that get you going. And sometimes, like you said, it's just as simple as, you know, how did you get here? Like, can you sum up for me, like how you wound up here on this, uh, whatever, this, this uh, sunny morning on Lake Lanier outside of, of Atlanta with an opportunity to row for, um, a gold medal, like how, how did you get here? And mm-hmm. sometimes those questions are, are the best, the best questions, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I heard ones like sometimes the best questions are, you know, the, the, the most simple ones. Yes. Um, I, I, you know what? I subscribe to that, 
to that theory. And I hate the, um, I hate, I hate, I hate the word hate. Um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I dislike, I dislike listening um, to people when they ask a question, particularly in a, in a, in a media conference or, or zoom type setting where there's lots of other people involved where it's almost like they feel like they have to show how much they know with how much they know with their question rather than trying to extract the information from the people that they're actually questioning. Just ask you, I just ask your question and let them answer it. The, I, I assure you the, the people who are listening to the media conference or watching on zoom are much more interested in the answer from the people up on the podium than they are with you telling everyone how much you know with your question from the floor. And I, I would say the shorter, more to the point question is often much more effective because it, it lets the, it lets the person answering the question go in whatever direction they want. So like uh, for instance, Thomas Shabbat gives the puck away last night in, oh, yeah. o- in overtime and it results in, in somebody might ask the question, breaking down all of the options that were available to Thomas Shabbat. And then, you know, wonder, you know, why did you choose that? You could have done this. Could have done... Maybe the best question is just like, what happened on that play? Mm-hmm. Or what were you thinking? That's it. Yeah. That's actually interesting that you say that because, you know, we were talking about, you know, just being on this podcast and, you know, having different guests. But at the same time, I've also done, you know, communications work. Yes. So I've been on the other side where I've, you know, maybe hosted the press conferences and, you know, have sat in interviews when, you know, journalists are speaking to players. And now that you mentioned it, I completely see it, right? Where you often hear, what's the phrase that people use? Like, you know, like the journalists will go, oh, obviously, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they state the different stats that, you know, this is why you guys aren't doing so hot. But do you mind explaining, you know, blank? Where, you know, they could have probably just said the simple question, but like you're saying, you had to, maybe prove it a bit at the beginning. And then something that I kind of built on that as well is when we're having this press conferences, um, I also had like a live stream going with the, yep. with the press conference. And then I would say, Hey, have fans ask the questions. Right. And then the players often found the best questions were just, you know, a fan would ask, Hey, uh, I forget what the question was. It was maybe like, Hey, like, how did you pick number 10? Right. And then yep. the athletes, like, Hey, like I love telling the story. And then he just went for it. Right. Yep. So no, I completely agree with that. And, and like, so, and and again, you know, like you said, once once uh, I feel like once you've been in this line of work for a while and you have a bit of a reputation, I think it also affords you a little bit of of latitude in terms of of how and and excuse me the the types of questions you can ask. So I would feel completely comfortable covering the Ottawa Senators on a daily basis. Um, particularly, you know, thinking back to the beginning of this season, I'd have no problem walking up to Thomas Shabbat and asking Thomas Shabbat, can, can you tell me why you guys think? Like, and that might bring a chuckle from him or whatever, but oftentimes that's where you'll get like a great answer rather than trying to, you know, present all the analytics numbers or how many goals for, how many goals against, which, which um, I guess illustrate the point and you would certainly use in the course of telling your story to back up your argument that they stink. But in terms of, of the interaction with the player, sometimes yeah. something like that gets you like your best answers. Why, why do you guys think? And, and it leaves it completely open for the player to take it in whatever direction they want to go. Yeah, no, And like you said, sometimes, sometimes that affords the most entertaining or informative uh, answer. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I guess kind of going back to your, to your route a bit, <clears throat> we're not talking about, you know, maybe the different uh, opportunities you, you have, right, where you can, you know, interview someone like Thomas Shabbat of the Senators or, you know, cover the Olympics. You might maybe sharing how you got to um, how, how you got to that point. Was it through connections? Was it through, um, you know, just building yeah. a name for yourself and, you know, people uh, appreciating your work? Like how, yeah, how well, you- like I said, I, I got offered the job at a, at a paper called the Ottawa Review, R-E-V-U-E. It was a weekly broadsheet. Um, and I want to uh, give a shout out to uh, to one of the owners. Uh, Morris Presser was one of the owners of of the uh, of the paper, and he became a fan of my work. And and still to this day, every now and then I'll I'll get a you know a, a 
a note or a message passed along about, um, you know, asking how I'm, I'm doing. And, and, uh, I really appreciate that, but, you know, to your point, you know, there's, there's an opportunity with that weekly, with that weekly paper. Um, one of the best things that I could have ever done, I, I did leave school and I, I regret not getting my journalism degree, but my attitude was I'm at journalism school to get a journalism job and I've got this opportunity. So I took it. Mm-hmm. But I took pictures, I wrote, I edited, I, I laid out pages, I, I wrote headlines. Um, so it was a fantastic um, learning experience for me. And uh, honestly, like, uh, and I think this applies to, to most people's careers, a lot of it's just serendipity a lot of times. So I worked at the Ottawa Review for a year. Like I said, it was a, a weekly a weekly broadsheet and our, our main focus to start with was on amateur sport in Ottawa. And after about a year, the Ottawa review got bought by, um, the Ottawa Sunday Herald, which was a one day a week. I would describe it as a one day a week daily in that it had all of the live news from, from Saturday and was basically a, a Sunday paper. The Ottawa citizen didn't publish on Sundays at that time. So we're talking, 85, 86, 1987, around there. So I went to, um, the, the review was bought by the Herald and I went to the Herald and, and inquired if they, I would, could get a job there. They didn't have anything full-time. So I started out doing, uh, features on the Ottawa 67s for 50 bucks a week. Hmm. And the editor there, Bob Amess, liked my, liked my work. Um, and when they've, finally had a shake up in, in, uh, in the newsroom. I got offered the, uh, I got offered the sports editor's job. The sports editor moved over to become a news editor. And as I said, Bob Amess liked the, uh, the job that I had done with those 67s feature and, and the odd other, uh, bit of work that he'd thrown my way. And again, I got an opportunity to do all of it. A lot of writing, editing, layout, um, all those things. And then, like I said, serendipity. So I work for the review. It gets bought by the Herald. I, I move over and get my foot in the door with the Herald. And then the, uh, the Sunday Herald got bought by the sun chain out of, uh, out of Toronto with an eye into turning it into, into uh, a daily newspaper. So, um, I kind of got carried along on that wave as well. And, and, uh, moved over to, moved over to the sun when it came to Ottawa. So that was 1988, I think it was. And, um, again, what a fantastic opportunity. George Gross was the longtime sports editor at the Toronto Sun. So George would, would come into town every couple of weeks to, to check and see how we were doing. And, and, uh, he took me out to lunch one day and he said, look, you know, we're uh, keto as he called, he called everybody keto. So, uh, we went out for lunch and he said, uh, we're trying to, to figure out how all you ketos fit together. And I, I think what we would like to do with you is give you the opportunity to cover the Montreal Canadiens. Um, we don't have an NHL team here in Ottawa and we think we need to have, there's a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans in Ottawa. So we think there's, there's something there. We can get our coverage of the Toronto Maple Leafs from the Toronto sun, but we don't have anything in Montreal. So what do you think about that? So for a kid that had grown up in Montreal, what an opportunity, right? So for that 88, 89 season, I covered every game home and away of the Montreal Canadiens and just thought that that was so early in my journalism career that I'd already reached the pinnacle and that from there it was going to be downhill from, from uh, having had the opportunity as a kid growing up in Montreal to cover the Montreal, um, Canadians. And, uh, yeah, so from there went on to what almost I guess thirty year thirty year career at the uh, a thirty year career at the Sun. Oh wow, yeah, that's amazing. And I guess that kind of almost leads perfectly into the, one of the questions I like to ask everyone mm-hmm. near, near the end of the episode is obviously you know you're talking about like this you know this long career that you're able to you know go to the Olympics, be in the different locker rooms, go to you know golf tournaments, all this, you know, amazing items. What sticks out to you the most that maybe, you know, 
one day when you're in a rocking chair, you know, it, mm. when you're 90, 100, 130 with the medicine now. You know? um, <laughs> Got to get my vaccine first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah me too, uh, <laughs> I guess, at this point. But yeah. Uh, yeah, what story or what maybe memory is a better word yeah. sticks out to you the most that you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe I was able to to do that for a living? It's, it's yeah, that's that's a great question. And it's funny, two two things that come immediately to mind are kind of kind of related to sports, but then wind up not being about about sports at all. And mm-hmm. and one of them was um we were in Florida for the NHL All-Star game. Man, the year escapes me. That was either 2001 or 2003. And while we're there, it must have been 2003. It was the first time I'd heard Eugene Melnick's name mentioned in connection with the Ottawa Senators. Um, and it was at a press conference, you know, Gary Bettman gives his usual, uh, gives his usual, uh, state of the union address. And one of the issues, uh, you know, on the front burner was the Ottawa senators and their bankruptcy and that, and you know, what was going to happen. So, you know, that kind of gives you a little bit of the, the time frame. but, uh, while we're in, while we're in Florida, South Florida, the, um, space shuttle explodes on reentry oh. and, um, over Texas. So the call comes from the news desk in Toronto that they need uh, some of us boots on the ground that are there to cover the NHL all-star game to go up to Cape Canaveral and cover the aftermath of the space shuttle blowing up and all these lives of these astronauts tragically lost. And it was interesting to see the reaction of many of my colleagues. They were like, I'm not answering the phone. I have no interest in doing that. Like I'm here to cover hockey. I don't want to do anything that's outside of that bubble. Mm-hmm. But I looked at it as like, wow, what, what an opportunity to cover at that point, the biggest story in the world. And yeah. Eric Francis, um, who was working for the Calgary Sun at the time, I think, was of the same mind. So we took, uh, one of the other guys had rented a, a SUV for his time in, in Florida. So we grabbed the keys to his SUV and jumped in the, the truck and started driving from, uh, Fort Lauderdale up to Cape Canaveral. And, um, again, it goes back to telling people stories, right? So we're racing along the, uh, A1A or whatever to go up to Cape Canaveral and uh, Eric's on the phone with the desk in Toronto, um, basically keeping them updated in terms of, of where we were. So we, we get into, I think most of the people who worked at Cape Canaveral lived in Titusville. So we put, and I knew that I was a huge fan of the space program as a kid growing Mm -hmm. up. So I kind of know a little bit about, you know, the astronauts racing their Corvettes on Daytona beach and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, we get into Titusville and I said to, to, uh, Eric Francis, okay, we're going to have to split up here and see if we can find a couple of stories about the, the impact of this horrible tragedy is going to have on this, on this town. Like, what does it mean for the space program? What's it mean for these people's livings? How do they feel like they might've known, you know, we could run into somebody who actually knew one of the astronauts on, 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 uh, the space shuttle. So, uh, we went by a fire station. So I said to, and, and a donut shop close together. So I said to Eric, you go into the donut shop. I'm going to go into the fire station. So anyway, I, I ended up talking to a couple of first responders and got some, what I thought was decent stuff from, from them about, you know, what the whole space program made to the town and what this tragedy could mean. And Eric comes back from the donut shop and he had, he had, uh, he was in there and, and a woman was in there with her, with two dogs. And, and again, to, sh- to show you, um, how something that we think is so extraordinary, like the, the space shuttle and it coming back to land in, in Florida had become part of a routine, right. For the people who live there. Mm-hmm. And this woman, this woman knew like what time the space shuttle would be coming in. Because, uh, if you remember, there was like this double sonic boom, I think, you know, when the, when the, when the, uh, space shuttle slowed down and came through the sound barrier. 
And she said she would always, she knew exactly what time that was going to happen. And she would gather her dogs up onto the bed and take one under each of her arms and comfort them because they were so frightened when they heard the sonic booms. So she had gathered the dogs on the bed and like waiting and waiting and the booms never come. And that was kind of like, wow, what a, what a story to sum up the, the impact of that disaster. And, um, again, like to me that, that, that whole thing stands out for me just for the, we, we didn't know that's what we would be doing on that trip. And, and it was just one of those things that happened, um, in a matter of minutes in terms of, of grabbing the keys to the truck and heading there and not knowing what story you were going to be writing that night. And, uh, Eric got that great, you know, that great kind of scene setting anecdote about, you know, the impact that, um, the space shuttle disaster had on this, had on this town and on the, uh, on the people that were there. And the next day I remember I got a, you know, um, a story that I'll, I'll remember forever. We went over to Cape Canaveral. They have a monument there for all the astronauts who had died, um, in the space program. And so many people had shown up there just to, to commiserate, to pay their respects and laying wreaths and flowers at this, at this monument. And, I end up doing a story on this, this man who showed up with a set of bagpipes and just started playing these incredibly touching bits of music on these bagpipes. And it just set such an incredible scene with these, these people, you know, mourning in front of this monument for the astronauts and the sound of these, uh, of these, the bagpipes playing as, as the, uh, the background music to this scene. So, you know, you ask me the stories that I'm going to think of, you know, like you said, when I, uh, sit down over a beer and think about, uh, think about my career, you know, and that's, that's one of them that stands out and again, kind of affiliated with sports, but really nothing, nothing to do with sports. It's about, about people and telling their stories. Yeah, no, that that's an amazing story and it kind of flows perfectly well with, you know, earlier we were talking about the route and, you know, everyone's a different story and you're always mentioning, you know, serendipity and that kind yeah. of exemplifies it, you know, perfectly, right. Where, that's the funny thing about life, your career, whatever you want. You never know, I guess, even with the podcast, right? You never know which route it's going to go, right? It's not always A to B, right? You're going to go A to three to 77 to, to back yep. to Z, right? So yep. That, and, that's, and that's why, like, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I talk sometimes to, uh, to young journalists and, and uh, that's my thing is like, don't, don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Um, that, you know, the, the experience that you gain from doing something like that is going to help you in, in the day-to-day stuff that you do. So never be, never be fearful or intimidated about getting out of your comfort zone because you're, you're going to learn something about yourself and you're going to learn something about the way that you, you, uh, hone your craft out of those kinds of, um, experiences. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that applies to, to so many different things, right? Where um, I don't remember where this actually might have been my first networking event ever. I was, you know, I think I was 17, something like that at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone in the room was, you know, in their 40s, 30s. And it was my first event. And I remember my dad told me, just walk up to the first person you see. And he's like, then it'll break the ice for you. So I went up to, you know, this group of people and, you know, started talking to them and I ended up spending the, the whole night with them mm-hmm. and, you know, meeting others as well. And one of the biggest things they told me was, um, what was it? Oh, how, like, don't almost kind of what you're saying, like, don't be fearful or selling yourself short of, you know, what could come, right? Where don't always just take a position that you, you fit in, right. Where you just fit the mold perfectly. Yeah. Almost take a, a position that's so, uh, what would, what would be right word be where, where you like a, a position that you need to like grow into where it's almost so scary that, you know, you're not qualified enough for, but that mm-hmm. fear that, that drive that you'll need to, to make up that gap will allow you to develop so much more, which is, I think kind of what you're saying. Well, right? it'll, and, and it'll even help you to, to understand what the gap is. Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Like if, if, if you do take that experience and it turns out not to be the, the, the great experience that you thought it, it could, it affords you the opportunity to understand why it wasn't and, and maybe how you need to grow 
as a journalist, as a marketer, you know, whatever we're talking about, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, you know, uh, um, it provides the knowledge to help you understand how you can be, how you can be better. And that, you know, that really should be, you know, I like to think it's been one of the foundational principles of my career is like, you know, you, you want to feel like every day you're figuring out a way uh, to be better. And, and whether it's the way you attack a story or how you ask a question. And, you know, I think that's, you know, I go back to the reading thing, you know, and that's the other thing I say to, to young journalists. If, if there's, if there's people whose work you admire, mm-hmm. consume a lot of it and, and read different things or watch different things, you know, or listen to, you know, if there's a podcast that you like, why do you like it? Like yeah. what, what is it that, you know, what is it that you like about it and, and how can that be transported, um, to, to what you want to do, like the way you want to convey your message. So, you know, you need to be a big, especially earlier in your, in your career. I think it's important that you're, you know, a huge consumer. Part of, part of the job is consuming all of that content and figuring out what works for you and, and what doesn't. Um, because if it's working for you, it's probably going to work for somebody else too. Um, if it's something that draws you in and it's something that keeps you coming back yeah, and it could be the, it could be the, the, the very content itself, or maybe it's in the way the content is, is presented. It could be in the personalities of the people yeah. that comes through in their writing or comes through in their, in their, uh, interviewing technique or in their, in their, um, podcast or whatever. So yeah, be, be a consumer. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that that's almost kind of a perfect way to, to end the podcast with whether it's – the last thing I'll ask is what advice would you give to maybe a young Chris or this Chris or hmm. you know, anyone else that's listening? What kind of advice would you give to someone, whether it's life, career related? That, that it would you- be – yeah, it would go back to just what I was talking about there, like like figuring out what's important to you, figuring out what, what, um, what you admire in other people's work, because if they've been successful, they, they are obviously doing it right Mm -hmm. and, and figure out why they're doing it right. And, and how you can, how you can do your own right and, and put your own particular, um, voice to it. And I think that's, you know, that's the, the biggest challenge I think for, for, um, young journalists, if, if journalist is the right, right word, I think, young communicators, young content providers, whatever phrase you want to use now, is that um, there will be times early in your career when you're going to be intimidated, when, you know, you might think that that you're not up to the task. But that's all part of, that's all part of, of that journey of improvement. And again, that, that would be my thing is like, what, do you, what are you doing today to make you a better um, journalist or podcaster or writer. Um, what are you doing today that's going to make you better at doing that tomorrow? And even if it's a little tiny thing that you heard somebody ask, ask a question, you, you've been listening and, and paying attention, and maybe it's in the way somebody asks a particular question mm-hmm. that, you know, wow, I, I, I like the way that question, the way that question was asked, and I like the response that it got. I'm going to add that to my repertoire that in whatever discipline I'm writing or talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to add that to my, to my, uh, to my toolbox, because I think I love the way that it worked there and maybe it can work for me. So, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to, uh, to borrow from other successful people and, and make it your own, find, find your voice. But every day, just try and add that little something extra that makes you better at, at what you want to do. Yeah, no, that's, I can't say anything else other than that, right? That's, that's the perfect way to end it. Uh, so unless you have anything else to say, I just appreciate you coming on. No, I, I, I appreciate it because, um, you know, like you said, a lot of, I hadn't thought about that question about, you know, what are the things that are going to stand out for you when you're sitting in your, in your rocking chair? I, I would like to think in my case, it would be sitting on a bar stool somewhere <laughs> warm with a beer in front of me, a nice IPA, but, um, yeah, it makes it does make you uh, appreciate for the opp- uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, to think about those those questions and tell that uh, and tell that story. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's maybe one of the the aspects that I find guests after we record, they're like, wow, you know, I think I was so focused on the day to day or, you know, on yeah, the yeah. project, yeah. but then just, you know, sitting down, having a, a conversation like this, they just almost, they almost gain an appreciation for themselves, I'd say, right? Where like, wow, I can't believe, you know, it's been 30 years. It's been, you yeah. know, the route I took where I started off as a, I don't yeah, know. Just, just having that opportunity to uh, kind of think through and, and, you know, relive, like I said, that day in, uh, that day in Florida. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Where hopefully this allows others to do that and hopefully myself as well one day where I'll be in my rocking chair and I'll just be listening <laughs> to the route on, uh, on Spotify. But uh, if it's still around, who knows? I but, hope so, uh, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That concludes our interview with uh, Chris Stevenson. Just want to thank him again for coming on and, you know, sharing his route, sharing his stories and his amer- amazing experiences as well. You know, um, I always take notes during these different podcasts and, you know, for, for this one, I, I can already just hear or see, I should say not here, looking at the different timestamps that I, that I have for, for potential clips or things that I'd like to share on social media for, you know, people to, to get a peek for so they can tune into the episode. And there, there's a lot of stuff where it's sometimes even just the simplest things, right? Where it's just, um, I think around 23 minutes, you know, he's talking about how simple questions that go a long way or, you know, best memories or even advice. There's a lot of just different things like that that I found in this episode are, are going to be great to share. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, as I mentioned earlier, follow us on social media at The Route Sports. That's on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, I think that's everything. I may forget some, but we're everywhere. And we're still trying to find the balance of how many clips or graphics to post. Because we, we also don't want to oversaturate and give too much away from the episode. But... As usual, hopefully you guys enjoyed and uh, stay tuned for next week. Have a good one.